Today is Tuesday, January 18th, and this is Hard to Kill. Okay, welcome back for another episode, episode number two of Hard to Kill. My name is Jeff Allgaier. I'm sitting here again with my wife. Hello, everybody. I'm Katie. Uh, first of all, I want to thank everyone for listening to the first episode and for uh, all the positive comments. Obviously, uh, we're very new at this and we're going to get hopefully a lot better at, uh, at doing this, but we appreciate the, uh, the kind words and uh, we look forward to continuing this. So uh, we're going to jump right in. Uh, anything to add before we start? I do have something very important to add, actually, Dr. Jeff. I was <laughs> made aware that there's a movie called Hard to Kill. With Steven Seagal. Yes. And I just want to clarify to our people that we did not n- name this podcast from that movie. But it did have a good cover on it. And maybe we should change our cover on this podcast to something similar to that movie cover. With Steven Seagal. Yeah. they had It was like the girl in the background, the guy, and then a big gun. And all serious looking. I don't know. It's just a thought. We'll leave that to the creative directors, I guess. <laughs> okay. Um, again, I think our format for this is going to be to go through some some of the articles or some of the things that we found interesting over the last couple of weeks and uh, give our take on it maybe a little bit and, and then kind of tie this into some, again, more health-related <laughs> concepts and things that we can do uh, to continue to promote health and become... Hard to kill. With Steven Seagal. Um, I'm going to read from an article uh, that I thought was super interesting. Um, I'm actually surprised it was even released in today's world. Uh, It was released in, or it was published, I got the exact date here, uh, January 10th in um, the Wall Street Journal. Uh, It's called Slow the Spread, Speeding It May Be Faster. So I'm going to read some of this. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole article, but just some of the concepts from it. These are things that that we've been talking about for years, not just with COVID, but um, I just find it really interesting kind of their take on this and some of the the different things um, in regards to how viruses change and how we maybe should be approaching this a little bit differently from a policy perspective. Uh, So the article is written by Vivek Ramaswamy and Apoorva Ramaswamy. It starts like this. The Omicron variant is spread across the globe, but so far the strain appears to be less deadly than its predecessors. That's good news, but here's a risk that policymakers in every country should appreciate. Policies designed to slow the spread of Omicron may end up creating a super variant that is more infectious, more virulent, and more resistant to vaccines. That would be a man-made disaster. Um... So basically, the article goes into why. I'm going to continue this here. To understand why, first consider an important scientific distinction between antigenic drift and antigenic shift. So antigens, first of all, are molecules, such as the spike protein of SARS-CoV-2, that an immune system detects as foreign. The host immune system then mounts a response. So antigenic, antigenic drift describes the process by which single point mutations, which are small genetic errors that randomly occur during viral replication process. The result is minor alterations to antigens such as the spike proteins. So we have seen over the course of, this is now me interjecting, we have seen over the course of this virus, we have heard of these different variants. And again, what, they're, what the concept here is that different variants um, are produced basically by just random mutations in the genetic code of a virus that produces slightly different proteins that uh, are incorporated into that virus. Um, The article continues, if a point mutation makes the virus less likely to survive. So if this random mutation uh, produces a protein that makes it harder for the virus to survive, that variant gradually dies off. But if the mutation confers an incremental survival advantage, or fitness is the term that a lot of people like to use, say the ability to spread more quickly from one cell to another, then that strain becomes more likely to spread through the population. Antigenic drift is a gradual varying process. Again, it's a random, that's a thing to remember. A single point mutation alters one peptide or one protein. 
uh, or building block of a larger protein. Hosts with immunity against a prior strain generally enjoy at least partial immunity against drifted variants. This is called the cross-protection. We've even heard during this pandemic that some of the reasons maybe some people have gotten this, you know, or I think most people have have been asymptomatic or had mild forms of COVID where some people get hit really hard is because they actually had cross protection from other forms of coronavirus or other cold viruses that were similar enough. Um, this is actually a, I was listening to a podcast and I heard this argument that this is one of the reasons why kids maybe are a little bit less prone to severe illness with this because as they're in school and exposed to germs all the time from each other, that their immune systems are constantly being primed and reminded and strengthened about what's actually out there. And, uh, and that this can, that some of those antigens are similar enough uh, on a different form of a coronavirus or a rhinovirus or whatever, that it actually confers this cross protection. Each time an immune host is exposed to a slightly different antigenic variant, the host can tweak its immune response without becoming severely ill, and the more similar the new strain is to the last version the person fought off, the less risky that strain will be to the host. Um, by contrast, and we're going to shift to this antigenic shift, refers to a discontinuous quantum leap from one antigen or set of antigens to a very different antigen or set of antigens. New viral strains, such as those that jump from one species to another, tend to emerge from antigenic shift. The biologic causes of antigenic shift are often different from those of antigenic, antigenic drift. For example, the physical swap of whole sections of genome leads to more significant changes in viral genes than those caused by individual point mutations. Um, so this is one of the reasons why whenever a vir a new virus like SARS-CoV-2 is released into a population, it's very, um, can be, you see most of the problems right away. Most of the severe illnesses right away, because it's, it's new enough that people don't have any kind of memory. Their immune systems don't have any kind of memory. They're not, they don't have, you know, the tools where or as easy um uh the term again that the uh, cross protection uh from other viruses if it's very different and so it's brand new to the immune system and the immune system kind of is having to learn as it goes and so we see that we saw that i think with covid to start um and things have obviously calmed down since then um and the article continues here, but there's a Sorties paradox. How many unique point mutations collectively constitute an antigenic shift, especially when human hosts are deprived of opportunities to update immune response to drifted variants? Um, and I'm, I'm going to kind of summarize the rest of the article here. Uh, but what the concept here is and what they're arguing is that the more that we isolate, uh, the more that we stay inside and don't get exposed to the updated kind of continuous barrage of COVID um, from our friends, families, relatives, uh, the more that this antigenic drift that naturally happens, that if we don't see the virus enough, that the next variant that we see is different enough that it would constitute an antigenic drift, meaning it's different enough that your immune system is having trouble forming an actual you know, response and you're more likely to get ill from this. And I think that we've seen this uh, there's people, you know, that have gotten, I know personally that have gotten COVID the first time and then gotten it again. Uh, and it was much milder the second time than the first time. Uh, but they still got sick. So the virus had changed enough that it was, it, it still posed a kind of a new risk to the immune system. It didn't have quite the tools to handle it correctly. And there's lots of reasons why people can still get sick again, which we may touch on a little bit at the end of this podcast as well. But um, I just thought that was really kind of an interesting concept that, you know, we've talked about this, we've seen how different countries have handled things where we have something as far as Australia, to a lesser degree, Canada, who have, you know, just shut down, locked down restaurants, you know, really, you know, whatever it is, stay in your home, work from home. We had that a little bit in the United States. Then you have countries that you have Mexico, you've got Sweden, you've got these other the countries. The entire continent of Africa, right. Sands, South Africa, right. never had a lockdown. If you look at our world in data, 
you'll see the their vaccination rate um, is estimated to be between four and five percent of the population, and um, this color coordinated um, graph on that website shows the death rates from COVID nineteen are of are minimal and almost non-existent. So they let this virus, I believe, kind of just run its run out its course. So that's a good example of of this antigenic drift thing you're talking about from that article. Yeah, now the <clears throat> obvious downside to this, so if you're a logical thinking person, the downside to this is well, you still have to get sick. I mean, to get to that point, you have to get exposed to it at some point and Certainly, you know, this is where interesting policies come and, and uh, you know, different strategies. And so what we've done is we've taken a one size fits all and we've, we've you know, used this kind of strategy of, listen, if you, if you are, uh, you know, don't stay in your home and wear your mask, you're going to kill grandma. Um, when in reality, uh, and I remember talking about this at the beginning of, of this pandemic was, you know, where other countries adopted the similar thing where you protect the people that are vulnerable. So the people that shouldn't really get this right, that are at high risk, high comorbidities, you know, elderly, whatever it is, those are the people that you maybe isolate from this, at least to start. Yeah. Um, but the young, healthy people who are able to handle this generally, you get them out and you get them exposed to this virus. So they actually build immunity uh, to it. And, you know, because again, what, ha what generally happens to a virus over time, we're seeing this with Omicron, and that is the purpose of this article, is let's not waste this opportunity while we have a, a variant here that is mild, re relatively mild for, you know, it's at least been milder than every other variant that we've had so far. Um, and it's sweeping through the population, whether you're vaccinated or not. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we have countries like we just read, you know, Katie, you brought up Quebec this morning in Canada, the province in, in, mm -hmm. in Canada, where they have a 90% vaccination rate while they're still locking everything down, really restricting unvaccinated, independent of whether there's actually been prior exposure. And we actually have natural immunity, which we're going to talk about in a second. It's yeah. kind of part two of this. Yeah. Um, you know, but you have those policies where what this art, what this, you know, article is arguing for is this actually might be super short-sighted in the sense that you know if you keep locking down and heaven forbid we have a uh, mutation that happens that produces not only a virulent form like omicron but then a deadlier form like omicron which again from a perspective of how viruses evolve it generally doesn't go that way but you never know how mutations can form and the reality is is that if your immune system isn't able to keep up and be exposed to these smaller changes in viral, you know, antigens, uh, it's going to be harder for your body to actually deal with something that does come. And we could be creating here a, a lack of immunity for something that's more significant as we go back to something like Delta or something even worse, heaven forbid. And this certainly isn't, uh, you know, a, I mean, we're not, Kate and I are the farthest thing from fear mongers. It's just an interesting thing with, a, a, I think, an interesting concept and a strategy of, you know, maybe the healthy people, especially in, with Omicron, should take advantage of this. And we have to really th rethink our policies of maybe the best thing for grandma is for you to get this yeah. and to build an immunity and I, for <laughs> us to actually reach I, this thing called herd immunity, which is not produced by vaccinations. And we are seeing that clearly. That'll be really hard to convince people when for now two years or more, we've been convinced to fear right. this. Here's the thing about convincing, though. So I, I think they this article also talks about, you know, this whole concept of basically getting people exposed that can handle it to produce, uh, you know, stronger immune responses is this article goes on to say this is a familiar notion in virology. Uh, take the rise of severe shingles cases over the past decade, partly a result of the widespread use of the chickenpox vaccine. Shingles and chickenpox are caused by the same virus. Before widespread use of the chickenpox vaccine, parents regularly updated their own immunity by getting exposed to chickenpox from their children or from other adults who were exposed by children. But now the most but now, pardon me, that most children are vaccinated against chickenpox and don't contract it. Older adults suffer from more severe cases of shingles. And so this concept of like, if you're not constantly updating, if your immune system 
like if a virus actually disappears, if you think about this from a, how the body works, you've heard that, you know, the concept, if you don't use it, you lose it. So I can work out every day and I can build massive, fabulous, beautiful bicep muscles. But And they are. Thank you. But if I stop, you're more. They shrink. <laughs> if, if, you, <laughs> if, if you stop working them out, um, it doesn't matter how big they were, your body doesn't need them anymore. And so it's energy expensive to keep them around. And so you're not going to, your, your body's going to, you're going to wither away. Your biceps are going to go. The same is exactly true with how the immune system works. The immune system is the most energy expensive system in the body to run. It does not make sense to maintain active levels of antibodies. You know, even your T cell and B cell responses wane over time. If your body is not, if, you may have been exposed to something once, but if your body doesn't see this virus again, there's no need to keep that defense around when it could be using those resources for something else, right? And so, you know, we see this now with grandparents, and I, they talk about parents in this getting exposed, but, you know, I mean, it's kind of like the concept of a booster, and I hate that term because it's used in the vaccine world, but you're literally reminding your immune system, oh, shingles is still around, shingles is still around, shingles is still around, chicken pox, the virus, yeah. herpes do, yeah. herpes zoster. Um, and it's keeping your immune system strong to keep fighting off it. So your defenses don't go down. And this is what happens with, with shingles is your immune system has been, this herpes virus lives in your body kind of, and hides actually in the nerves uh, of your body. And when, when it thinks it's safe, it comes out. And now that, you know, by safe, I mean, if it thinks it can replicate and there's no immune response that it's going to get. And so when it, when we don't have that immune response there because we haven't been primed that this virus is still around, it just makes it easier for, um, you know, for these viruses to kind of replicate faster. And this is something we're going to come back to at the end in a concept of, as we talk about becoming hard to kill, you know, what is the approach that we take with viruses and bacteria? Is it, is it, do we, is it best for us to avoid these things and to never encounter a germ, right? Or, mm-hmm. or and that will keep us healthy. Or is it the concept of, you know what, you know, there's a different way to do this and maybe exposure to different things with a strong, robust, healthy immune system is actually a beneficial thing for a human to stay living and adapted in its environment. So let's put a pin in that for now. Sure. Because we'll come back to that. So is there anything else you want to add to this first article that we talked about? Uh, no, other than the fact that um, there were a couple, like Yurt Vanden Bosch is an independent virologist and a vaccine expert who has been trying to scream about this mass vaccination um, schedule in creating a push for a virus to replicate into something more. Yeah, and that's kind of a different concept. Life. So that whole, that selective pressure of <laughs> of how, I mean, this is the, you know what, let's talk about that a little bit too, because I do think sure. this is interesting. Um, and again, I, you know, we can talk about vaccines and, and you know, for or against the COVID vaccine, and we're not going to get into that today. And, and okay, I do, I could talk about it all no, I know, but I, <laughs> I also don't think that I, I do, the whole approach here of a one size fits all is literally insane. Um, and it would be also insane on our end to push a one size fits all. We're not going to get into that. That's, yeah. that's bad policy. I would, I would say on both, on both sides. Absolutely. Um, but there is this concept of so so how these mRNA vaccines work for COVID is really what you're producing as we talk about this antigenic shift and anti- antigenic drift. The mRNA vaccines are designed to elicit an antibody response to one antigen, which is the spike protein. Um, and the problem is is that uh, there are many other antigens on a virus that your body can attack, and so or it can defend itself with, um, or, you know, built antibodies for. So you have more defense, you have a broader spectrum of those defenses. Um, the problem is, is that when you have, and this, I, I think we're seeing this a little bit with maybe some of these, you know, higher outbreaks in, in vaccinated people is that, you know, what we do is we create a certain pressure um, for vaccines to mutate in a way that is undetectable by the immune system. So you might get mutations that are changing, uh, not on a spike protein, but are other parts of the virus. And we're basically, because P53 
people that are vaccinated might have antibodies against the spike protein. It, it in theory, because it hasn't really worked out as far as not getting the virus. Um, there is maybe some argument about less severe uh, cases because you have a head start with some of some of the antibodies there. Uh, but what you end up doing is basically pushing mutations away from spike proteins into other parts of the virus. And then the people that are, because they're, they are more able to survive for people that are vaccinated. <laughs> so you end up just, you end up pushing, because I've heard this, I've heard this said that basically, you know, it's some of these variants, this is, you know, it's people that are unvaccinated, which again, vaccinated, unvaccinated, which we're going to talk about in the next article. The conversation needs to be immune or or immune naive meaning not been exposed to this thing yet because even immune doesn't just because you've been exposed to it doesn't even mean you're immune which we can talk about a little bit as well but i've heard this uh you know blamed on the unvaccinated that we're getting these variants and in fact it's the it's that's it's the opposite that's true so when you get if you're unvaccinated you get sick naturally you are producing antibodies against a whole broad spectrum of antigens on this which yes. gives you which slows down as this last article talked about antigenic drift mm -hmm. because you have defenses against more actual more point mutations that can change or you know antigenic changes and in the vaccinated not only are you just trying to build antibodies to a fragment of the whole virus these are non-neutralizing antibodies which means the antibodies created are just nibbling at this and not completely neutralizing it allowing this virus to replicate inside the body right. and potentially creating mutations which, and variations which happens less again the downside <laughs> here is that you have to get the virus in its full-fledged thing the first time if you are where you don't have any sort of antibodies floating around of a head start so yes. we're not naive to that fact either yes. uh that you know someone who hasn't been exposed to this at all has no antibodies and may have a tougher time you know going through any virus again it all depends on how well that immune system works um but that's right it's you've got you know, a broader spectrum when you get sick naturally. A broader, and so this is in this second article. Maybe I'll just jump to this. Because yeah, cool. um, we could go down a rabbit hole with this uh, quite a bit. But th this is from the British Medical Journal. So this is a, this is published <laughs> in the British Medical Medical Journal. And the title of this was Vaccinated People Who Have COVID-19. Oh, sorry, pardon me. Vaccinating People Who Have Had COVID-19. Why Doesn't Natural Immunity Count in the United States? Um, so the concept here, uh, I'll just read the little subtitle here, the subblock, I guess. The U.S. CDC estimates that SARS-CoV-2 has infected more than 100 million Americans, and evidence is mounting that natural immunity is at least as protective as vaccination, yet public health leadership says that everyone needs the vaccine. And this article kind of investigates this and some of the different numbers. And again, not talking about whether people should get vaccinated or not vaccinated. That's not, you know... Not the point of this at all. Um, the point is, is, and this is a lot of where I think it drives me nuts uh, when I look at what we know about health and how the body works and some of the policies that we are doing for public health are not matching up. That, that the Where we're at now, two years into this, what we have knowledge with the science, with the literature, not just opinions, not making this up, not difference of seeing things, but the actual hard data Yet we're still going down this road of, you know, mandates. there's mandates and, and for vaccine. And like, again, in Quebec, you can't go to a restaurant if you're unvaccinated, but you can if you're vaccinated. I think they even shut that down. But I mean, there's different places like that. You need the vaccine card and all this sort of stuff. We're, we're That's not. That's what we issued here in the right. great state of Minnesota, Minneapolis-St. Paul. Yeah. Now you have to show a card or a negative test. Right, to, to get into different things, concerts and everything else. Um the the point i think is that we have this vaccinated versus unvaccinated mindset but the reality is and this is in this article there's this dr Macari, uh who i've heard on podcasts before and he's i mean just a brilliant guy um but he talks about in this article that basically the, the conversation needs to be if you really are going to go down that road where you want to actually get into separating people in society bad move altogether in my opinion uh but if you want to go down that road it the conversation should be immune versus immune na naive. 
and immune is much more complicated. And this is, again, the I'll put the links to this article and I would suggest people read this because we could go through this and I could read through this article again. But um, there's this, we've been from our agencies, CDC, administrations, both administrations um, that we've had during this pandemic. Um, I'm going to read this, this part of this article here. It says, still, the CDC instructed everyone, regardless of previous infection, to get fully vaccinated as soon as they were eligible. Natural immunity, quote, varies from person to person. And, quote, experts do not know yet how long someone is protected, close quote. Um, basically, the point with this was quotes from the, the CDC and their, uh, their argument was, well, we don't know how long, you know, we don't know about natural immunity to COVID, which it's true. We don't know about natural immunity to COVID because we haven't had it. However, throughout the course of the entire history of the human species, like we, you are here today listening to this podcast because you have natural immunity that has lasted you. You have natural immunity that gets passed on. Not only if your mom got something naturally, uh, that even that protection, some of those antibodies were even passed on in through breast milk till you could actually develop your own immune response. I mean, this whole concept of we're, we're just going to assume that the human body doesn't know what to do with a virus and how if it gets sick, it's just going to all of a sudden forget and doesn't have an entire cascade and setup of events to protect itself in the future is literal stupidity. I mean, yes, it's scientifically true that we don't know how natural immunity, you know, how COVID and the human body responds with natural immunity to COVID. But if but you're... how did it respond with any other... Right. If you have illness. an ounce of logic in you, you would look at every other infection that we've gotten and, and see that basically, like, outside of maybe something like AIDS, where the virus attacks the actual immune system itself, right, which is a little different story, but... Once you once you get sick and immune that this and it's not just antibodies, which we're going to talk about, but you have a massive immune response that stays with you for a long time. Now, again, immunity is a, a catchy term, and I think I, I do think we can discuss this a little bit. Um, so. I don't even know where I want to go with this article. Uh, let's talk about antibodies a little bit here. So. Really the argument here that our politicians, our CDC, our elected officials uh, have been using is that we know that when you have a vaccine, for instance, that we can measure a really strong antibody response to the spike protein. There's no argument for me on that. Um, that's very true and that's fine and that's all dandy. But the reality is, is that having and having antibodies is not immunity. We've somehow conflated those two things. And what we've made is basically, as long as you have antibodies floating around your body, you can go to the University of Minnesota without any problem. I mean, this is this article goes into, there's another article that I have printed off as well that talks about our, our universities, our centers of higher learning, right? Are, are, have just sold out to concepts that don't, we, you'd have to go back and rewrite every textbook on immunity. We know that it's not just antibodies, that having antibodies. So the, the analogy that I was using, go ahead. I, I go just for... want to point out the you don't have to show the fact that you have antibodies. You just have to show that you had a procedure done, which in theory was supposed to. Right, which is antibodies. the other insanity of this. Right. So if you're going to go down that road of mandating something and you actually want to use antibodies as the gold litmus test of an immune response, which is really silly it's not useless antibodies play a big role but your immune system is more the immune response is more than just having antibodies okay and we you know one of the kate and i talked about before we do this podcast should we talk about all the different how this immune system works and what antibodies do versus your your t cells and your b cells and we may do that at a later date we're not gonna we won't do that today with this but this is you're exactly right it if you're gonna go down the road of we need antibodies then who cares how you get the antibodies, first right. of all? Two, so if you're so it doesn't matter whether your antibodies come from immunity, some from natural infection, or from a vaccine. If that's your goal is to have antibodies, it, what's the difference? It shouldn't freaking matter. No. Okay. Two, that's not even what they're doing, right? So with the man, you just have to have a card saying that you had a vaccine and then you can get in scot-free wherever you want. It doesn't mean you're immune, doesn't mean that you don't have a virus living up in your nose 
replicating or you're in the middle of COVID right now. Like we see so many people who can still get into places. Who can still contract COVID, can spread spread COVID and die from COVID. Right. (laughs) So... (laughs) The whole that whole concept is it just is like I just think if we stop and look logically at this and the reason I'm the reason we're bringing this up is because part of being hard to kill is to think logically about things is that we have to take a step back and we have to go we have to look at the decisions that our government is making and go is this actually trustworthy legitimate stuff and a lot of people listen to go like well I don't know like I don't know any better I have to trust this stuff yeah that's that's true we can't know everything that's part of why we're doing this podcast is to hopefully teach people uh the way to go but i've literally listened to podcasts i mean one of the things i do most of the with most of my free time while i'm driving is listening to podcasts or working out or whatever uh on things medical doctors that are not like people that i wouldn't agree with on a lot of things necessarily and even there have said like we've completely lost faith in the cdc and the fda and NIH and all these other agencies because it seems like they're advocating for the vaccine versus for public health. Like actually the results of what we want with the vaccine, which is antibody production, herd immunity, that sort of stuff. It's like, we're not even looking at like there's there's literally no reason that and in other countries do there's other countries. If you've had back in England, national, the, their national health system, there's other countries. It's in this article. I'll I'll post it. Sure. That just talk about like if you've if you've mm-hmm. been sick. Not only do you have antibodies to the spike protein, but you've got all sorts of antibodies. You've got T cell, white blood cells. You've got B cells, which produce antibodies at a whim. So, like that's the other side of this is is antibodies come and go. It, it, like after you get sick, you're gonna have high levels of antibodies, but then you don't need them sticking around. Right. They don't. You don't need to have in this article it talks about oh here why one of their arguments too is like well then you can't really accurately prove you have immunity then there's no there's very few or no tests that will actually definitively prove that you have immunity so right that's your vax card yep um In this article, so I mean, again, I, I could read so much uh, into this. Um, it's just really interesting. But this is a quote. So former CDC director Tom Frieden, so former CDC director Tom Frieden, a proponent of universal vaccination, echoes the uncertainty that we don't know that antibody level is what determines protection. And certainly I can tell you that we know that it's not 100%. <laughs> I mean, that we know for sure. We don't even know that antibody, I mean, that's the thing. When they do these studies, a lot of the time when they're talking about, you know, how powerful these vaccines are or whatever we're just measuring did it elicit a vaccine response did it was there a was there a titer that we could measure that measured antibody production it didn't there wasn't any in even any clinical outcomes as far as this produced less in infection that sort of stuff um so th- this article goes on uh gandhi and others have been urging reporters away from antibodies as the defining metric of immunity it is accurate that your antibodies will go down after natural infection she says and after vaccination as well which we certainly know for sure Uh, which is normal that's fine that's how it's supposed to work Uh, that's how the immune system works this article says if antibodies didn't clear out from our bloodstream after we recover from a respiratory infection or any other infection our blood would be as thick as molasses the real memory in our immune system resides in the T and B cells, not in the antibodies themselves, says Patrick Weiland, a pediatric rheumatologist at the University of California, LA. Um, he pointed, points out that the sickest COVID patients in intensive care, including children with multi-system inflammatory syndrome, have had loads of antibodies. So the question is, why didn't it protect them? And this is this is the um, it, it, this article gets into the politics of natural immunity and that there is, for whatever reason. We have decisions that are being made that are affecting policy that are more based on politics and who's right and who's wrong than actually looking at science. And that's a scary time. So when we're we're just seeing it now, I think it's probably always been a thing. I just think we're living in a world where we're getting all this information easier and we're just seeing the influence of policy agenda, you know, all sorts of things into what should realistically be yeah great even if you want to go down the road of like you cannot participate in society unless you've had some sort of unless your immune system is not naive 
meaning it's not seen this virus before. So if it's seen it before and you've been able to get over it and produce all sorts of an immune response due to this or even the vaccine, if that's the road you want to go down, that's, I mean, if, I don't want to live in that world either. But if you want it to go down that world, like we're just doing it, we're not even close to what that should be. We're just doing it way wrong. And it just shows that I, I feel a real problem when politics interferes with your healthcare, with my healthcare, um, it's a it's a big problem and it leads us down some really you know sticky roads. Um, so I just think that's something that we all need to be aware of. That I mean, to this point, to this date, there's now 141 studies that show this superiority is the right term of natural Absolutely. immunity versus vaccination. Yet. Um, and yet we're going down. It's we're doubling down. It seems doubling down. You know, yeah. as far as policy Qualities. goes, all the way from the White House, you know, to other things, and and uh, you know, I certainly have political leanings, but I don't care who's in power. This is this is wrong. This is dumb decisions. This is absolutely wrong. <laughs> this is dumb. Yeah, dumb decisions. It is just it's it's ignorant is is what it is. Um, so. Interesting stuff there. So that was out of the Berger Medical Journal. Again, those two articles that we linked this week, uh, we I will, or the two articles that we discussed on the podcast this week, we will link in in the show notes um, that you can click on and you can read for yourself. And it is super interesting. Um, but I do think that leads us down to, as we were talking about before, now the, the question of like, you know, are germs the enemy? You know, is, our, is the best approach them? for health... To be a healthy individual, to stay away from germs, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you've, you, we're living in a world where everything is antibacterial and antiseptic, and we have to clean everything, and you know, and sanitize, right, till the cows come home, right, and, you know, the question we have to ask is, and again, this is, I think this is different for every person, and so the point is not again for us to sit here and make policy on this either, because people are in very different spots with their immune system. I mean, if, yes. if it's true that your immune system is is so compromised, whether it's there's medications that we're taking that like for rheumatoid arthritis, things like that, that actually purposely disrupt the immune system, you know, cortisone, prednisone, that sort of stuff affects immune response, inflammatory response, all these different things or whatever illness, you know, that you shouldn't be exposed to certain things. I mean, these are individual things. These are individual risks. And this is one of the other topics we're going to go over at, at a podcast is the difference between individual health versus public health. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, is we're making decisions for 330 million people in this country. And those 330 million people are all in very different states of health. Mm -hmm. And so it's literally crazy to try and have a one size fits all policy. And I don't really care whether that's for a vaccine, for COVID, for cholesterol, for blood pressure, for chiropractic care, for crying out loud. There needs to be different things done depending on what the individual yeah. needs. Um, however, there are some concepts that, you know, if we look at the immune system, I mean, just from this concept of antigenic drift that, I mean, it is impossible to live in a world without germs. Right. Right. I Take a swab of your skin right now. Right. And that, so there was this, I sh if I can find it, I'm sure, hopefully it's still on Amazon Prime. I'll link it in the show notes as well. But there was this video on documentary on Amazon Prime called Life on Us. I think it was Life on Us. And the, it's kind of gross, actually. If you're any bit of a germaphobe, um, just, you, you were before warned. Yes, you should watch it because being a germaphobe, I think, is counterproductive. It is. Uh, but it, it, it really is quite gross. And what's fascinating is, I mean, there's even, your, even the gut, the microbiome in your gut, which is a microbiome. You have viruses, you have bacteria, you have yeast, fungus, parasites. you have parasites that are all naturally, symbiotically, supposed to be there and they help your body function correctly in fact part of keeping your immune system calm is actually having bacteria yeast viruses parasites fungus in your gut it actually helps calm your immune system down and when you don't have that wiping that out through things like antibiotics etc you create imbalances in this natural system that leads to things like so an antibiotic for instance will kill a lot of bacteria will not cure viruses of course will not kill will not kill Fungus, of course. Or so, yeast. Right, which is a fungus. And so... What is? Yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> so, 
that's how people we you know it's a huge problem in western world where we have yeast overgrowth uh in our body and part of the issue is we've you know we've wiped out a lot of the competition that yeast have we certainly feed it feed yeast a lot of the right material that yeast likes uh but anyway, on this documentary, they were talking about not only is it important the amount of bacteria that you have in you, but what was actually even more important, not just bacteria, paris, you know, microbiome, small critters on and in you, it was the, it was the variety. So the, the number of different species when they swabbed people's, so we're going to get a little gross. I think there was belly button swabs. I think there was throat swabs. I think there was rectal swabs. Yeah. You know. I mean, even down to your eyelashes, the pores. Yes, uh, when they were able, when they took samples, the the people that had the greatest variation in the ver- the variety of species of all these different critters on and in them, they had greater health outcomes. They were on less medications. They were had less, you know, diagnosis, all that sort of stuff, uh, which is really interesting to think about. And it, but it's not like I think that I mean it's interesting. It's just not surprising to me. Right. I think. You know, one of my favorite chiropractors, uh, Dr. James Chestnut, I remember him saying this years ago, like the biggest mistake we made in healthcare was convincing humans that we're not part of the ecosystem of the world. Like we're somehow distinct from that. And so we think we can manipulate that ecosystem. So if you take like and there's... make the, it better. Right. So so if you take there's this, right, this old story, I'm sure you've all heard this, that uh, you know, the, the, there was wolves in Wyoming and Colorado and these places. Now, again, I'm probably getting the story a little bit wrong here, but you get the idea. And they were wiping out herds of, I think, cattle, ranchers, cattle, that sort of stuff. So they went on a massive hunt. This was years ago. Massive hunt to kill all the wolves. All right, so they killed all the wolves. Uh, well, then what happened was then the deer population exploded. And then uh, the deer population started eating too much of around the rivers and the lakes and they were they were clearing out the forage around them because they had no competitors around there and that was literally like it literally changed so from killing wolves it escalated pardon me down to even changing the landscape like the physical landscape of rivers and everything else because nature has found a way or more appropriately right god created the world to live in a certain way in balance in harmony and when the human mind, I think this is part of the human arrogance and ignorance is that we're at this really weird point compared to other species in that we have the ability to change our environment more than any other species can, but we're not smart enough to understand the consequences of it. And that's yeah. really dangerous. I think we're in a dangerous, I'm really concerned about that, that we have all this and even more now we have all this, we have just listened to this audiobook all about CRISPR and this ability of us to you know, edit our genes and all this sort of stuff. And there's some upside to that. Like there, it's fascinating as a guy who's interested in health and technology and all that stuff. There's some really fascinating tools that we can use and some really good reasons we can use that. But there's also the downside of Pandora's box where it's like we start messing with some of this stuff. I mean, you know, even even with SARS-CoV-2, I understand that this is not a proven fact yet, but I mean, the evidence is certainly leaning towards this virus escaping from that Wuhan lab and this virus was a virus that they were working on in through gain of function mm-hmm. um, and, you know, altering it and studying it to see how it affected. And it, all of that can be done for good reasons. I mean, it, it actually makes sense to me why you would study some of that stuff. But we're human and people make mistakes and we don't understand consequences nearly like we should. We can't see that. And so, you know, we, we end up in a spot like this where we have now millions of millions and millions of people that their lives have been completely affected. Whether you've been, heaven forbid, killed by this or sick with this or had to live through the measures because of this, we've all been affected one way or another because of, you know, and again, I understand we're not going on the record saying officially we know for sure that this came from the Wuhan lab. It doesn't really matter where it came from. The reality is, is you know, we're still doing this type of research or have been. And it yeah. doesn't surprise me that something like this could have happened, right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, even you look at things like antibiotics for ear infections. So years ago, you know, it, it was the standard protocol that we would just give kids antibiotics for ear infections and what they kept noticing was they were just getting more and more ear infections. It was like you clear it out, but then it's like a, you know, the the or old analogy of would run rapid after right. an antibiotic dose. In in chiropractic philosophy, uh, we have this concept of seed versus the soil, right? And so let's, you know, what 
what makes a plant grow? Is it the seed? Is it the soil? What's more important? Um, you know, seeds, there's that, there's the parable in the Bible that talks about scattering seed on all sorts of different terrain, you know, and it, it grows best in soil that, that obviously it's, it's meant for. And so, or another analogy of if you had flies buzzing around a garbage can, you could spray the flies down with raid or whatever kills flies and some sort of insecticide and kill the flies. But if you don't change the garbage, guess what's coming back? The flies. Right. A hundred times out of a hundred. The flies didn't create the garbage. Then exactly. BJ Palmer, developer of chiropractic, talked about if you saw a if you saw a deer dead on the side of the road with a bunch of maggots in it and flies buzzing around it, would you assume that it was the flies and the maggots that killed the deer? Or that they're there because the deer was dead and had no resistance to it? Yeah. Right? I mean so we look at germs like they're the cause of illness. And I understand a germ has to be there, but the reality is is that oh, you know, we're never gonna live in a world without germs. It's not gonna happen. It's you're not I don't care how how try and clean you make it, it's it's not going to work. We could swab your throat right now and we would find strep in a large portion of the population. Doesn't mean you're sick with strep throat, it just means that it's there. Your body's handling it okay. The reality is is that keeping your immune system engaged in the environment that it's living in is one of your best defenses against other viruses that actually do may want to harm you, right? Uh, again, I think that's probably why that theory that, you know, maybe why kids have less of a problem with this is because they've been exposed to each other and all these cold viruses much more than adults do because they're drooling and touching each other and in schools and everything else. Well, you know what? It might actually be a good thing for them to actually go through that, right? So, um, so I do think that's an interesting, an interesting concept as we look to become, you know, healthier in our environment, that that doesn't mean that you're healthier if you buy an air purifier and clean your house of everything, or you're going to wear a mask for the rest of your life, or you're going to hand sanitize every day. You're cleaning out the germs. You're spraying the flies down. Doesn't mean you're healthier. Health doesn't come from the flies. Health comes from, is the garbage can clean? Exactly. Not to compare you to a garbage can, <laughs> uh, right? But it's, it's the soil. It's not the seed. You have, you know, is your soil fertile for illness? Is it fertile for sickness? Are you likely to become sick with this? Are you likely to become severely sick with this? Or are you a part of nature? You know, um, I think that as we move away from how we have been designed to live in nature, a part of nature, a part of an ecosystem, mm -hmm. more towards this very unnatural way of living, right? in cities, artificial light all the time, artificial food, chlorinated water, fluoridated water. We talked, you know, all sorts of new stresses to the body, you know, in the forms yeah. of radiation and different things, right? It's just like you're taking your body out of the ecosystem. It was designed and there's going to be consequences to that. And, and that's including trying to get rid of all the germs that you're, I mean, think about this. If if, trying to avoid getting sick all the time with right but the interesting thing is like and it, but again that whole concept comes from it's the germ that makes you sick i mean yeah. if it's the germ that made you sick you would be sick all the time you have germs all over you yeah. and in you it's an imbalance in that system that creates illness that's why your body has to fight harder because there was an imbalance you know virus got in and replicated far beyond this is why there can be asymptomatic carriers because you might have been exposed you can test positive on a pcr test you mean you've got a, or an antigen test you've got a little bit of a little piece of dna covid dna in your nasal pharynx right in your nose where they're measuring this stuff but there's a far a great difference between being infected and being sick it means the virus is in you and it's replicating versus someone coughed on you an hour ago and you breathed it in and you had the co i mean mm -hmm. right there's just a difference you're just i mean if we this is part of the problem of just randomly testing people all the time it's like testing asymptomatic people it's like well but yeah you can be positive but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to a get covid i've had people come into my office all the time that I get a call from the next day, like, oh, we tested positive. Okay. You know, right. not sick. Like, you know, I've been exposed to it a ton and, may, and I don't know if I've had COVID yet, but you know, I'm sure I've been exposed to it. My body's had to form some sort of a response to it. Uh, but the same is true of, 
the same is true of, of really any illness, that if we're dealing with recurring infections, if it's pneumonia, if it's strep throat, I dealt with that a lot as a kid, uh, you know, ear infections in kids, there's an imbalance in the system and simply taking an antibiotic to wipe out the infection is not solving the problem, right? It's, that's not to say that you don't ever need that stuff. The point is, is like, you know, something's probably missing in our natural way of living that has created this imbalance and allowed and allowed an imbalance of germs, viruses, bacteria to take over our body. So basically what we're saying is whatever you're told to do on the TV, <laughs> do the opposite. <laughs> Don't do that. Well, think. That's what we're saying is think, right? What we're saying is think. And think about so much of the stuff that we're taught now is about public health, not individual health. Right. It's I mean, we'll get into this on a later podcast because it really is a fascinating thing. But it's it's advice. It's the whole concept of blood pressure that should be 120 over 80. Yeah, that's a great average. But that doesn't mean that's where a six foot five, 200 pound guy. Right. Blood pressure should be the same as my how old to tell you five foot six. Oh, I love that. No, I'm five foot four. Five foot four. How much do you weigh on a podcast. I'm going to lie and say 128. 128, right? Which like is four pounds. Then that blood pressure might be a little bit different. Your blood pressure might be a little bit different if you go run a race. It's going to be a little higher at the end of a race, and it should be a little higher at the end of a race. Mm-hmm. It should be 120 over 80 at the end of a race. Like understanding what the body needs in re- relationship to it. I think we talked about this on the last podcast, but it's just a great analogy in relation to its environment is crucial for us, not for public health, but for individual health. And so our one of our goals is to shift public health policy back to every individual is different and you don't, you shouldn't do what, you're not the middle of the bell curve probably, Yeah. right? And so doing something in the middle of the bell curve, it's the same, it goes back to this one size fits all vaccination policy. It's like, that's, it. there's no, there's no doctoring anymore. No. Right? It's protocols and procedures. Like, it's just, that's a problem. That's a huge problem, right? And we, we're, we're trapped in this way of thinking. And if we want to be healthy, we have got to get out of it. So. And we'll help you the best we can. We're on our way. All right, everyone. I don't know how long that is. Let me look here. We've got this in Time. 52 minutes. It's longer okay. than I thought. All right. That's it for episode two. Um, so signing off. Again, my name is Jeff Allgaier, my wife Katie Allgaier. And uh, we hope that you are living your best life. And we hope that you uh, start to take to heart some of the stuff that we're talking about and begin to implement this and uh, change the way that we look at health. If you have any questions, as always, you can uh, email us. Uh, just Discover Chiropractic is our office in Chaska, Minnesota. So you can... <laughs> Send an email uh, to our office or... You can DM me on Instagram yes. at Cairo KT. My wife is very active on her, on the gram. I am not. A little bit. Uh, Cairo KT. Yes. C-H-I-R-O-K-T. KT is Instagram. Uh, follow us on Facebook, that sort of stuff. Uh, all those messages would be appreciated. Answer any questions you have. And at some point, I think we've even lots of questions from our patients in office. And so I think we'll even do a... Q&A type uh, 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 podcast at some point. So stay healthy, everyone. We'll talk soon. And be hard to kill.